Chapter 3 of The Fortune Hunter, a novel of New York Society by Anna Cora Mollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly S. Taylor. My judgment owns her exquisite perfections, but my rebellious heart denies her claim. Hannah Moore. Circumstance that unspiritual God, a miscreator, makes and helps along, are coming evils with a crutch-like rod, whose touch turns hope to dust. Byron. Hello, Brainard. Here I have been knocking at your door this half hour. Did you imagine I was badger? But what ails you? Have you got the blues? You wear a rather doleful face for a man with your brilliant prospects. As Mr. Ellery entered the chamber of Brainerd, the latter gentleman was sitting beside a small round stand which held an empty bottle and a wine glass. His feet were carelessly rested in a position somewhat higher than his head. The cigar between his lips was but half-smoked, yet its fire was extinguished, and the gray ashes had fallen entirely unnoticed upon his richly embroidered vest. "'Ellery, how do you do? Glad to see you. Sit down. We'll have another bottle. That's right. Now you look more like yourself. What in the name of everything that's horrible were you ruminating on? Upon matrimony, a very serious subject, is it not?' I see nothing so very serious in a rich wife and her agreeable accompaniments. True, uh, but, but, let me fill your glass. Certainly, if, as I empty it, you will let me understand why your head is so full. Everything prospers, does it not? It is three weeks to-morrow since you were first introduced to Miss Estelle, and she has received your flowers, carried your verses in her pockets, thrown her glove out the window at your serenades, and, even after a little persuasion, met you at the fountain in Union Park. Is it not so? Yes, she listens to everything I have to say, replies with a deep sigh, and once in a while she murmurs, unfortunate young man as though she dreaded that some calamity were about to befall me still she does not withhold her dangerous smiles no though they have never placed my heart in much peril yet ellery in a word i do not love her burst forth the young man with an energy which he had never displayed before such a woman i could never love and when I see her beside that angelic Miss Walton, and hear her affected tones contrasting with the moving music of Aria's voice, I almost hate her. It was on this fact that I was just pondering. What a different creature might not the gentle influence of such a being as Aria Walton make me. My nature would become softened by hers. She would inspire me with virtues that I had never before desired to possess. I should grow pure through her purity, and I could learn to look at the heaven her finger pointed out. In her presence, I have felt springs of feeling which the polluting atmosphere of the world had choked up unsealed in my bosom. Were Aria my wife, pleasure would no longer be my idol, nor self my god. 
I should become a man, an honorable, upright, intellectual being, fulfilling a noble destiny, not the slave of dissipation, ever a thirst, forever yet sated with enjoyment. What a delectable picture you have drawn, said Ellery coolly. Let me now finish it by filling in the most important character. You have forgotten your Laertes and Pinates, namely Mr. Badger and his assistants. Brainerd seemed to awake as if from a dream at the sound of that cabalistic name. Listen to me, my young friend, continued Ellery, but first answer me one question. Have you had any further visits from your inconvenient acquaintance as of late? I have escaped him three times last week, but I had to dodge about like a thief and almost expect to see him start out of every dark corner. Have you made up your mind, then, that it is the part of a sensible man to cut his acquaintance? Yes. And you know of no better mode of doing than by marrying Miss Estelle Clinton? No. All right again. This confounded wine is too heavy and had got into your head, that's all. Cure yourself homeopathically. A few more glasses will bring you back to where you were when you began. Now, let us see how matters stand. Mrs. Stell does not reject your attentions, yet she evidently inclines to pay hers to Mr. Chadwick. There is no danger, however, in that quarter, for his young affections are decidedly engaged. "'To whom?' questioned Brainard, starting from his seat. "'Be quiet, my dear sir, not to Mrs. Stell. "'Therefore it is no affair of yours. "'He is in love with Miss Walton.' "'But she does not love him in return. "'She cannot, shall not. "'A little diminutive. "'Stop, stop, stop. "'Not so fast, my friend. "'Chadwick can compare with most men of my acquaintance, "'although he is not six foot high.' But that is not to the purpose. You stand a fair chance of winning Miss Estelle if you will only act with caution. Remember, she carries weight. A man has not many such chances in his life. But, as it is always wise to be prepared for emergencies and be guarded against disappointments, I came here this afternoon to propose introducing you to another lady who could heal the wound in case Miss Estelle should prove inconstance. Agreed, said Brainerd, filling up a bumper. Here's to success with the fair. He drained his glass and added, in an exhilarating tone, Now I am ready for anything you like. Away with melancholy! Fa-la-la-la! What an idiot I was to have laughed until I was twenty-nine years old at Cupid and his archery, and to fancy myself wounded after all. But, as you say, it was the wine in my head, and now Richard's himself again. Bravo! We have not a moment to lose. We will stop in at Grand Jean's, and on the way let him remodel your hair and beard. Then a visit to Miss Priscilla Adair. After that you can pay your devoirs to the Clintons and pass the evening." Lead on, gallant general, I follow. Tall, dural, dural, dural. Life let us cherish. And thus singing, Brainerd sauntered out of his chamber, but the song changed to a whistle as he descended the stairs, and to low humming after he passed out of the street door. 
he was not interrupted by ellery until they turned the corner of barclay street and entered grandjean's a few moments sufficed to effect a very marked alteration in the external appearance of mr brainard as soon as the gentlemen were once again in the street he accosted his friend with come ellery give me a description of this new inamorata i feel my heart almost gone already i am very sorry to have discovered that you have any heart at all the sooner you forget it yourself the better for your own peace as for the lady of your love that may be she is not quite so young as miss estelle nor quite so pretty nor yet quite so romantic thank heaven for the last item this don quixoteism does not agree with my constitution shall i proceed miss adair is a lady of that certain age which byron says the most uncertain age appears she is one of those kind souls whose abundant charity leads them to travel themselves perpetually with other people's affairs and to make the private concerns of all the world their own in person no matter the casket what is the value of the jewel the world says eighty thousand dollars which is probably about fifty thousand but this she has in her own right and it ought to be sufficient to exclude all inconvenient acquaintances there will be no waiting for her to come of age you know although it is to be hoped she has not arrived at years of discretion the adairs belong to our old-fashioned new york aristocracy a class of persons that were once in the ascendant but have seen their best days in the beaumont which have become too dreadfully mixed for their exclusiveness miss adair has two brothers who were formerly men of wealth they have each large families and the rumour is that their fortunes have been consumed in speculations miss adair has lived quite secluded until the last year suddenly she showed herself in society again coquetted received and rejected offers and entertained all the young men about town a man past thirty is her aversion it is supposed that she is tired of the guardianship of her brother over her property and is now determined that both she and it shall have a more interested and lawful protector there we are do you feel prepared to enter the field prepared for anything sound the trumpet or in plain english pull the bell and let us in i am impatient to rush into the presence of the fair enemy the door opened and the gentlemen were ushered into a very fashionable-looking parlour upon the cushioned sofa half set half reclined miss priscilla adair in her hand she held a volume upon which her eyes were intently fixed but whether she was perusing it or not the end of a spectacle case which peeped ill-manneredly out of the pocket where it had been hastily slipped made a doubtful question yet on the other hand the girlish style of her dress proved it to be quite impossible that the spectacles were made for use she is decidedly too substantial looking thought brainard at the first glance to prove romantic mm. i wonder whose dye she uses to colour her eyebrows 
and whether that yellowish hair frizzed about her eyes to resemble tow is her own her teeth came from parmley's that i'll swear such were the ejaculations passing through brainard's mind while ellery introduced him as a particular friend and one who had long been desirous of making the acquaintance of miss adair i am happy to see you mr ellery happy to see you mr brainard said miss adair with a curtsey which the stiffened limbs of belles of the present generation would find it difficult to imitate where have you been this long time mr ellery is your friend any relation to mr alfred brainard who used to live in the park place i see a resemblance but i am so dreadfully short-sighted and miss adair drew a large round eyeglass from her belt and after adjusting her head on one side with a shrewd nod which seemed to say there's no deceiving me through this glass she placed it to her eye and honoured mr brainard with a long inquisitive stare my friend is no relation to mr alfred brainard i believe no i knew mr alfred brainard quite well that is to say i have seen him very often he used to visit a lady who lived opposite me a married lady too mrs anthony you know her do you not oh quite well a terrible flirt i've watched her and seen brainard go in there sometimes twice a day a very wild young man i suspect it was shocking to live opposite such people where is she now in the city i believe does brainard visit her yet i'm sorry i cannot inform you oh i warrant he does married women have such a way about them they can are you so opposed to the married state altogether to disapprove of it asked mr brainard in his blandest voice i approve of it in some cases replied the lady as blandly your disapproval in others has doubtless caused many a sleepless night continued the gentleman in the same honeyed voice what a remarkably pleasant young man your friend is said miss adair in a whisper to ellery while brainard became suddenly deeply interested in an album lying near him he seems to be a perfect gentleman and very handsome where is he from from baltimore he has only been in a few weeks in new york indeed how old is he does he come on business or on pleasure is he rich he is about twenty-seven or eight his only business is pleasure his father died a year or two ago and left him a cool hundred thousand dollars replied ellery indeed really quite handsome mr brainard i hope i may be favoured with your name among others in that book certainly madam unworthy as it is of occupying a place there i cannot refuse anything that you request the gentlemen prolonged their visit for a half an hour during which time miss adair whose conversation consisted principally of questions had learned a great many particulars from mr ellery about her most intimate friends an unusual number of opportunities were afforded mr brainard for making agreeable remarks and miss adair 
who was fond of an aside privately informed mr ellery that she had never been so pleased with anybody in her life and that he did not in the least resemble that profligate mr alfred brainard elated at the apparent strength of this second string to his bow mr brainard felt in such good spirits as he approached the clintons that even estelle's airs seemed to him less intolerable and he expressed himself as having no doubt that if he chose he could be accepted by both the fair ones at a time it was nine o'clock before they reached the residence of mr clinton as they entered the parlor the first person on whom mr brainard's eye rested was miss walton she was sitting beside rachel and both girls were as usual employed with their sewing was it the contrast with rachel that made aria look so beautiful or the unusual flush on her cheek and the sparkling of her eye brainard's countenance suddenly brightened as he gazed on her but it suddenly darkened when he noticed who sat in front of the young ladies it was edward chadwick with a volume in his hand he had been reading aloud some passages from a poem by wordsworth near him sat esther with the mysteries of udolpho open upon her lap but she too was listening to young chadwick yes to him rather than to wordsworth for it was the tones of the reader and the play of his features which fascinated her attention not the beautiful reflections of the noble sentiments that he uttered brainard as he wished the ladies good evening could see nothing but aria and he was advancing to take a seat beside her when a warning look from ellery withheld him and he sank into a chair near esther his spirits were gone he looked the very impersonation of a despairing lover and esther's heart sympathized with him for she felt sure that his gloom had originated in her cruelty have you read the mysteries of udolpho mr brainard no never that is to say uh, yes oh yes frequently a thrilling tale is it not it makes my heart bleed and mine happy the nature that can feel the woes of others yes very is miss aria ill she seems to be retiring and unable to restrain himself any longer brainard hastily approached aria are you going to leave us so soon miss walton must you so soon carry our sunshine away with you he added in a lower tone moonshine would be the more appropriate term would it not replied aria lightly then fearing she had wounded his feelings she added i am very sorry to leave this pleasant company but mrs limming does not like me to keep late hours and it has struck nine i must wish you all good evening will you permit me to a my dear brainard you are treading on miss walton's dress said ellery seizing the arm of brainard with a rather tighter grip than was necessary to attract his attention beware he whispered i fancy badger intends paying you another visit to-morrow morning do you never intend to be able to cut his acquaintance Brainerd looked at him with a dull stare, as though he hardly comprehended the meaning of his words, and was following Aria. But Mr. Chadwick was already at her side, with his hat in hand, to accompany her home. Brainerd turned, reseated himself beside Esther, 
and, hardly knowing what he did, took the hand which lay upon the arm of the chair in his. She withdrew it, yet not suddenly, and not indignantly, but rather as though she grieved to give him pain. Aria bent to give Esther for a due, and Brennard trembled again as he felt the pure breath of the being whom he truly loved on his own cheek. It was but fancy, yet it deprived him of all ease and self-position for the remainder of the evening. "'Farewell, Aria,' said Esther. "'We shall soon meet again.' "'Farewell, Aria,' echoed the heart of Reynard. "'Oh, that we might soon meet again.'" End of chapter 3